How do multifamily owners retain renters and increase net operating income? Well, we're on a journey to find out. You're listening to Amenitizer Die, tactics and strategies from the front lines of multifamily. I'm your host, Scott Patterson, Marine Corps veteran, founder of Tumble Smart Laundry on a mission to increase NOI through those shared laundry rooms. Today, we've got John Bradford, founder and CEO of Pet Screening, on the mission to make the world more pet inclusive, no matter where you live, work, play, or stay. Uh, John, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Scott, thank you for having me. And also, thank you for your service, man. Uh, appreciate it. You got quite the history, right? Uh, politics, property management, a little pet startup, back to politics. Uh, tell us tell us the history here. Like, what what is what what is the background? What got you into here? Um, and uh, and what's going on? Yeah, so let's see. We'll start. First of all, I am a professional property manager. I uh, was an IBM sales guy for 10 years, and I took my bonus money and started buying residential assets instead of putting money into like the traditional market space. I said, I'll just buy some rental properties. And what happened was some of my colleagues at IBM said, John, go find me a rental property, but we want you to help us find a tenant. And in North Carolina, if you do that, that becomes third party property management. You have to have a license. So I went to real estate school. Now, mind you, I have an engineering degree with an MBA, so I already have all the schooling I need. But it, real estate, I had to go to school. So I went to a community college at night because it was the best thing I could do with my uh, traveling IBM schedule and uh, help these folks buy some rental properties and started managing them. And, you know, grew that to the point where I left IBM after 10 years uh, and ran a pretty successful property management company in the single family space. So I wasn't doing multifamily. I was doing single family assets. Um, and all along I was a member of the chamber of commerce, Scott. And, you know, cause I'm like, grow, you know, a little business owner in my town and two people became five people become eight people. And so as a member of the chamber of commerce, uh, I got on the board for the chamber and then someone said, you ought to run for town council. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. So I literally went and paid $5 downtown Charlotte to run for town council of uh, a suburb of a North suburb of Charlotte called Cornelius. We're about a 35,000 person town now. Uh, back then it was probably 23,000 people and I ran for office and I barely won. I won by two votes. No joke. And I <laughs> well, voted. That's, oh, that's going to be a huge margin though, right? Like what's the, <laughs> well, what's the I, voter I, turnout for, for town council? In you that? know, you win with about 1200 votes. So <laughs> okay. I, I voted for myself and someone else voted for me. I think my wife did. She won't admit it, but, uh, so I barely won, but I'm, I'm glad I did because I served two terms, uh, and then I decided to run for the House of Representatives. And so that's how my political career sort of took off. I went from town council into the state house. Uh, I carry a majority of our state's tenant landlord law. Uh, but all while doing this, I still had my property management company. And we had grown into a multi-state management company managing about 3,500 assets at the time. And I just saw, I, love, I'm a, I know you said you have a, a dog. I'm a, I love pets. And uh, I just saw some complexities around how we were managing our pet population. I thought there were some inconsistencies. And so I had this idea to create a software platform. And uh, so that's how those three things kind of came together. Yeah, well, great. Well, so maybe you can talk a little bit about pet screening, uh, what what it's about, what, you know, what is that mission mean or what does that mission mean? And, and maybe a little bit about the business model behind it. Yeah. So we're a, you know, well, as a property manager, let me tell you about property managers and I'm, I'm picking on myself, so I, I don't want to offend any of your listeners here, but property managers, we're pretty tight. We don't want to spend money on anything, frankly. Um, and the other thing is we don't want to sign contracts. Now, remember I was an IBM sales guy, so I loved it when my customers signed long-term contracts. 
So when I built pet screening, I knew two things I had to do. One, I had to make sure this was low cost or no cost. And, and the cool part is it's no cost. We made it free, which is a, amazing, but that's what we did. And then we don't make people sign contracts. We have terms of service, but the reality is if you love our service, you use it. If you don't, you don't. But our customers, they love us and they tend to stay. And so we really you know, built a program that, uh, at least from a value proposition stake, we turn a lot of heads going, okay, well, this is kind of a no-brainer. But what the product does is it basically helps standardize the management of pets uh, pet policies and also assistance animals. So Scott ESAs, right? People know emotional support right, animals. Right. I, I will, you know, you're a veteran. There are lots of people that have legitimate disabilities and absolutely need these animals and they are not the problem. Okay. They are not the problem. The problem is there are people who are trying to get around, uh, landlords policies around, you know, maybe how many dogs they have, maybe the size of a dog, maybe the breed of a dog. And then in order to do that, they say it's an assistance animal of some kind, service animal, emotional support animal. So pet screening, we're not punitive at all. Uh, but what we do is we make sure people, uh, if they're seeking a reasonable accommodation request for an, an assistance animal, we make sure it meets the Fair Housing Act standard. And it's really that simple. And we find that 60%, this is a monster number, Scott, 60, 60, 60% of the people who are submitting for a reasonable accommodation request for an animal do not meet the Fair Housing Act guidelines and the HUD standard. And for the industry, that's huge because that means those are really pets. And if it's pets, of course, you can charge pet fees. You can you know, decide how, if you want to even take that pet. And so part of our service is making sure landlords know how to navigate that. And me being a legislator and a lawmaker, you know, we really work hard to work with HUD in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've been there twice and uh, meeting with them. And um, and it's just, that's, you know, that's part of what we do. But uh, yeah, so we're bringing all that together, assistance animal management, pet ant management. And we even, Scott, help uh, with the issue of people who, what I say, uh, I don't want to sound political, safe harboring sounds political, doesn't it? Safe harbor a pet. But there are people that don't tell you they have a pet. And what we do is we try to close those loopholes by making sure that people who don't have pets are on a legal record acknowledging that they understand that when you say you don't have a pet, that really means you don't have a pet. It also means you're not going to do any pet visiting. There's a side hustle going on right now where you can walk people's pets. You can keep other people's pets and get paid for it. And that's great. I'm a, I'm a capitalist. But if you do it in someone else's rental and something happens, the, the person who owns the rental is going to be at risk. So those things are not really allowed without the landlord's permission. So we make sure those folks understand that. So we're really addressing all residents for policies that relates to pets, pets themselves, as well as assistance animals. And that's kind of a high level of what we do. And it's free. It's literally free to, to property managers as long as they allow pets. That's because we make our revenue by charging a, a pet uh, processing fee or a pet application fee. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I imagine you don't do a whole lot of business in uh, in California then, because I think it's pretty pretty difficult to ask those questions here. Well, believe uh, it or not, yeah, believe it or not, it's one of our biggest states because those are federal standards, and we follow the federal standards. And uh, a lot of people in California say they have assistance animals until they really understand the rules, which we help them understand, and then yeah. they really have a pet. So okay, so you charge a pet screening fee, is what it sounds like, yeah. as part of the rental application. You probably check a box, I would imagine, on your little rent cafe application it says, "Would you like to do a pet screening?" And uh, are you know, do you have a pet? Would you like that to be part of your application? Is that kind of how that works? Well, so so it's uh, it's one one level higher above that actually, because we screen every resident. 
It doesn't matter no. if they have a pet or not. So the idea is being standardized in your approach. So when someone to your rent cafe example, which is a Yardi product, and we have full integrations with Yardi, OneSite, Trotta, ResMan, MRI, Buildium. I mean, we've done two-way integrations with all these platforms. So we can work with anybody. And what happens is as soon as they finish the, what I call, Scott, the human application, the people application, when they submit that, it sends an API call to our product, and then we start our process. And we say, hey, it doesn't matter if you have a pet, if you have no pet, or if you have an assistance animal and you're seeking a reasonable accommodation. You, know, you must go through this process. And we're able to use the API calls from Rent Cafe, grab the information that we need to start our process. We send a direct communication to the resident and they just pick which one they're doing. Are they doing a no pet profile, which is free? We, don't, we do not charge people without pets any money. That would be very goofy. So it's free, but we get them on the record anyway, because that's very, very important. If they have a pet, they do pay a pet processing fee. And it's 20 bucks if they're using uh, ACH. And if they're using a credit card, it's $25. And that's for the year. It's not per month. It's just for the year for that pet. And then if it's an assistance animal, we charge nothing because those individuals, in theory, have a disability and you cannot put them in a, uh, a financial adverse situation. And in many cases, they don't meet the standard. And when they don't meet the standard, they can convert it to a pet and then they can pay that fee. But the beauty is they convert it to a pet. You know, the operator's not doing it. The manager's not doing it. We're not doing it. They're self-converting. And so uh, so we screen everyone. And then every few minutes, like every 10 minutes, we'll call it, we're pushing things back and forth into back into Rent Cafe or back into Yardy. And so that's how it works. Got it. Okay. It's less about working on, um, say, pet policies, right, and sort of helping resident, you know, resident managers, property managers, regional managers, operations folks work through those things. It's more like, okay, you have a policy. Let's make sure that people are, are meeting that policy. Well, yes. And there's one, there's one neat, I think, I think you'll love this. Uh, everyone knows a FICO score. So yeah, we, we have created a FIDO score. So we have a trademark score called a FIDO score. And we issue a FIDO score on every single pet and pet parent together because pet owners are really a big part of the problem, right? I mean, well, if you put like 80%, 80%. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was being very kind. So you, I love what you're, I mean, if you put me in a bedroom all day and did not let me out, chances are I'm going to piss in the corner too. I mean, at the end of the day, that's going to happen. So you can't blame the dog because it didn't have the hands to let itself out. It's really up to the owner to be responsible and make sure they're taking care of their parent, their pet the way they should. And so what we do is we collect all this data during the application process. We're not only just collecting pet data, sex, size, breed, photos, weight, vaccination records, any training information, like if it's been through canine citizen program. But then we ask over 20 questions about the pet parent's behavior from leashing, waste pickup, to understanding of, of getting uh, pets uh, vaccinated uh, if you're in a state that requires vaccinations. And a lot of other really benign questions, but you'd be surprised the data that we can pull out of these answers. And then we analyze it with a very, very complex algorithm that we you know, continue to work on. We were six years in the business using a lot of data. And then we give a FIDO score. And that FIDO score doesn't go to the pet owner. It goes to the property manager. We're not trying to say, Scott, that your dog is good or bad. And that's not really the goal here. The goal is to share how much household risk are you taking with that pet owner and that pet together. And I'll give you a silly example, a very silly one, but you'll get it. If you own a puppy, I mean, let's say it's America's dog. It's a golden retriever and it's a puppy. That puppy is going to bring a lot of household risk to you. Why? Well, first of all, it's going to be chewing everything it can. It's still not potty trained. And no matter how great of an owner you are, it is still going to tinkle on the floor, on the carpets. It's inevitable. 
you know, it's not neutered yet because it's too young or spayed if it's a female because it's too young. It isn't fully vaccinated yet because it's not old enough to have all the shots. Those are not bad things, but that's in- interesting information for a landlord to know. So our FIDO score is naturally going to adjust for all those risk factors. And a FIDO score is going to be lower for this male puppy that's not un- that's still not neutered yet. It's not fully vaccinated because once again, it's a puppy. It's not fully house trained. And now the operator, if they want to, they can use that FIDO score and set a higher pet rent. Maybe they set a higher pet deposit. Maybe they set a higher pet non-refundable fee. The, the operator and the manager makes that decision. We just let our score be the guide. And as that dog matures and grows up and gets all those things, then the score is dynamic and the score gets better. So it really is a way for property managers to just have a consistent way to, to better measure all pets from dogs to cats no matter the breed, and then maybe use that as a better guide as well as a way to standardize your revenue collection for pets. Got it. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that revenue collection for, for pets. Yes. So is the, the NOI play here uh, retention? Or are we more looking at uh, income from these sort of uh, deposits and um, fees. So, so it's, it's, re- it's, it's incremental revenue ab- abound. It's really amazing what we do. First of all, all the people that you think right now don't have pets, when they go through our no pet profile and we're asking them to legally attest that what they're telling is the truth and the whole truth and it's under perjury of law, you'd be surprised how many people take a moment and go, I don't know if I want to tell you that I don't have a pet anymore because now this is getting mighty official. Because if they say they have no pet and they legally attest that they are telling you the truth that they have no pet and then that dog goes and bites a child and now there's a lawsuit, you know, there's grounds that you maliciously had held, or hid, excuse me, hid this pet from us, even though we asked you, are you really telling the truth? And so we're flushing out a lot of pets and properties that you don't even know have pets. That's incremental revenue that you don't even know you have. Assistance animals. Right now, the industry, Scott, is scared to death they're going to get in trouble by making a discrimination complaint. Someone's going to make a complaint against them. So what they do is they just let, and I'm sort of, I'm, I'm categorizing here. Um, you know, I wouldn't say every operator does it this way, but a large number of operators and managers go, if you say it's an animal, we're just going to believe you and we're going to let you in. And they don't even try to challenge it because they're scared to death. They're doing business in Texas and California and Oregon, and they're afraid that every state is different. Well, well pet and, screening, and, and who has, who has yeah. the time? Right. Well, like, well, bingo. Who yeah. has the time and what entry level property manager is going to even yeah. understand how to do it? Yeah. So we take all that off the property manager's plate. We work with their attorneys and get their attorneys very comfortable with what they do. And trust me, every legal counsel we've ever talked to at any company and we work with the largest companies down to the smallest companies and anyone in between. And they love what we do. And what we're doing is we're stopping on average 60% of these folks who are bad actors. And again, we do not set out to be punitive. That's not, we're not trying to stop 60%. The numbers just naturally show about 60% of these people don't meet the standard. That's revenue that you're able to get back that you were just let, basically letting pass go because you weren't challenging them. And then of course on pets, We're the first tool, the only tool for that matter, that you now have a FIDO score and you can actually drive a more consistent approach to how you charge for pets. And I'm telling you, we have some customers that are making amazing new revenue. It falls straight to the bottom line, Scott. No one is upset about it. The customers, the residents aren't upset about it. And they're just loving it. And we're we're loving it. We're having a really good time right now. So, I mean, what what else are you seeing out there in the market? Sort of pet-related amenities, 
kind of working in this space because right now, I mean, NOI is probably first and foremost in people's minds, right? Oh, it is. There's a softening market from your primary revenue source. You start looking towards ancillary revenue opportunities, right? So what are some of the the favorite uh, pedimentes out there? Yeah, you know, we we did um, uh, an anonymous survey with almost 30,000 residents. We worked with Jay Turner Research and a a couple of the larger operators. And uh, when it's anonymous, everyone is pretty honest, right? They have no reason not to be. And what we learned is, and this was post-COVID, what we learned is a lot of people went and got pets (laughs) during COVID, which is no surprise. Um, but your the, the sexiest amenities aren't always the best amenities, Scott. So what we're learning is a simple, um, I'll call it a dog park area, a fenced area, right? Pretty common. Um, that is a very, very popular amenity, but the one thing they want is they want shade. They want mm-hmm. shade so the owners can just sit in some shade and some benches. So as simple as that sounds and common sense as that sounds, a lot of these parks don't have enough seating room for people to sit down because they want to you know, kind of pluck on their phones and you know, work uh, while their dogs are running around. And so in shade, you know, they're burning up in some areas you know, where it's hot. So uh, as simple as adding some um, shade sails, if you will, and some seating. Um, you know, we didn't really hear a lot about wash stations, believe it or not. Um, you know, didn't really make the list really high. Poop, uh, poop bag stations, that's a big yeah. one. You know, making sure they're full. You know, now I know that's an expense and people take in multiple bags and they should only grab one, but making sure those poop bag stations are full. It was another simple yeah, amenity. Yeah, that that's me. Really I like. apologize, Star. I definitely take uh, <laughs> multiple poop bags every time. So we actually have one of those pet wash stations in our building. And I, and I always, our, I really feel like our building is the building I live in, in San Francisco here as very pet friendly. I've, I've talked a little bit about it on this podcast. Um, it feels like everyone in San Francisco has a dog already. It certainly feels like everyone has a dog in my building. Um, and I don't think I've ever used the pet wash station. Um, that's kind of the yeah, case in point. I, it sounds I had to, I had to find it. So one, I like accidentally found it. Um, it's like down in a basement, uh, like kind of near the garbage cans. Um, and of course, you know, we have like a trash chute, so I never go down there unless I'm right. throwing something large away. And, you know, I went down there. I was like, oh, it's this pet wash station over here. I like poked my head. I was like, oh, okay, great. I'll, you know, I'll bring my dog down. I've literally still to this day, I've never, I've lived there for almost two years now. I've, I've never gone yeah. down to the basement. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? The, the most useful amenities tend to be the ones that you use every day. That's right. right. Poop bags and, you know, the dog park. Well, I don't have a dog park, but I don't even think there's a dog park nearby. No, there's definitely not. But there's plenty <laughs> of places to, to walk around in San Francisco. So Yeah. Um, well, we've seen, well some, I, we've seen tennis court conversions, for example. We've seen uh, people take tennis courts and convert it to dog because people just weren't playing tennis. And then it's an expense to keep well, your pickleball. Uh, now, pickleball. Turn, they're yeah, going to have to turn it right back. Well, I was going to say, pick, this is before pickleball craze, which I, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I, I need to start playing pickleball. I think it'd be fun, but I haven't done it, but I know how to enjoy it. I enjoyed playing tennis. But for those, there are some sites that have older, um, courts where they'd have to be reskinned and they don't want to spend it. So they tear it up and they just turn it into a dog park. And so that's a, that's an example, but, uh, you know, dog wash station, I think is a great idea, but it's a lot of money and, uh, and I'm not sure it's worth the bang for the buck, but if I had it and I knew about it, I probably would use it occasionally, but it was interesting how that one definitely didn't rise to the top on our survey. Interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you all collect quite, quite a bit of data, right? You're on both people with pets, people without sure. pets. 
So, and then, then, then the FIDO score itself. So I would imagine you're able to sort of pick up on trends yeah. kind of things around pets. Yeah. So yeah. how was it overstated that everyone got a dog or a cat during COVID or is that pretty much actually how it is? No, I well, I mean, our that. data has, I remember when I started pet screening, you know, we of course had much less data, but you know, I was using other publicly available data and everyone was saying, you know, 55 to 60% of, you know, assets have pets. And now that number is closer to 70. Now th that means if everybody's fully reporting and of course people still don't fully report, they just, they never will, right? You're not going to get full compliance. People are still going to tell you they don't have a cat and they have an indoor cat and they're just not going to tell you about it. But if they have a no pet profile and that cat urinates in the back bedroom and you have to replace pad and carpet, at least you have it on the record. They said they had no, no cat whatsoever. And now you have grounds to really go after them. And, um, and that's where the no pet profile really, really works. What's interesting is, you know, the data, we have the only and the largest database of pet incidents that property managers are reporting. So let me tell you what that means. If some property manager catches someone that said they didn't have a pet, but they really do have a pet, they can report that as an unauthorized pet incident. And we keep track of that with that resident in perpetuity. Same thing with a dog. Let's say there's a dog and um, there's a dog off leash incident. Dog, most dog bites happen off leash, by the way, which wouldn't make mm -hmm. sense. Because if it's on a leash, you can typically pull them back and control them. Um, so having a leash dog, with the exception of maybe an off-leash dog doing a task for disability, which is you know can happen, but most certainly uh, very narrowly tailored uh, to an example, most uh, dogs should be on leash. Well, if an owner or a manager catches a dog running around off-leash and it's kind of a repeat offender, they can report that as an unleashed pet incident in our database. And that we, so we start to be able to report this to the next landlord and to the next landlord. And that becomes very valuable because it's, it's help, helping hold more people accountable. You, you, in the intro, you talked about pet inclusivity, which I'm sure is something our marketing department sent you because we, we, pet inclusivity is it's a real thing. We don't think all pit bulls are dangerous. I mean, yes, they're strong dogs, Scott. If it bites you, it's going to hurt like hell. I get it. But there are a lot of pit bulls that are raised like babies who are lickers and lovers. And we try to use our FIDO score and data to show a different story. So if you have a pit bull and it's been vaccinated, it's got a microchip, it's maybe been to pet co-training or, or a canine citizen program, this is not a dog that's fighting in the back alley. It's not a fighter, right? And so rather than just turning it away because it's a pit bull, and by the way, that's if someone even admits it's a pit bull, because who's to judge it's a pit bull? I mean, maybe you can look at it and go, oh, it looks like pit bull. But what if it's part pit bull? Who's getting into, well, what's the percentage? And it really is a slippery slope. So we're seeing a lot of, and I'm sure Judy, one of your prior guests, talked about pet inclusivity. Operators and managers are starting to just be more welcoming of all breeds because all dogs bite, Scott. When I go to shows and I'm talking to maintenance folks, you know, especially some of the local apartment shows, their number one complaint of bites, you want to guess from what breed? You probably would nail it. Chihuahua. Yes, the little ankle biters. And it's not that a chihuahua is going to kill you, but these things bite them. And, well, you know, even a cat. After I, don't, I have a German shirt pointer. They all yeah. come after them. So, you know, the point is all dogs bite. And so I think, you know, over time, you know, products like pet screening and what the mission um you know, of the Microsoft Found Animal Organization and others and insurance companies are becoming more relaxing on it. I think you're going to start to see an environment where people are just going to be more welcoming with pets. And with, with our FIDO score, you really can look at all those breeds and just use the score as a guide. Um, and that's kind of was part of our mission was to think about pets differently. Think about them holistically, the whole package, the vaccination, all of that. 
Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm definitely, definitely with you. And we, you know, and Judy, and I talked about this, um, you know, it, it's not really the, it's not really the breed so much as it's a, uh, you know, the whole nature versus nurture type thing, right? Like, That's uh, right. That's right. It's it's usually a, a animal that has been abused in some way or feels threatened or, you know, whatever. And, and honestly, like those types of animals probably shouldn't be in a multifamily property. You know, they probably should be out, you know, somewhere, somewhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the rest of us, I mean, and so, to be totally honest, some of these things don't make any sense to me. So um, like my dog is, I think he's 72 pounds now, right? everyone says like 60 pounds is the, the magic number or something hmm. or 50 pounds is the magic number why yeah. you know my dog's my dog is one of the ones that sleeps all day because he's 12 years old yeah that's another he's great that that's another great example wait i mean I, I mean i guess i get it if you had a hundred pound mastiff living on the third floor and it sounds like someone walking around and you say well maybe yeah. they should be on the first floor but just yeah, denying I, 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 I've got people in heels that are louder than I that, that, that case in point. <laughs> okay. and, and pets, granny, we're sensitive to telling managers how to run their business. We just try to show them, hey, here's a tool. And if you are open to the idea of not, um, you know, just being more open to breed, you know, age and weight, um, you know, then you can use a FIDO score just to find tune those policies. And even if, by the way, they want to keep those policies, our FIDO score is customizable. So if in the event, Someone doesn't want a Rottweiler. I'll just pick on a Rottweiler for a moment. And they're great dogs. I used to take care of two Rottweilers when I was a child and I never felt threatened, but they're another dog that often kind of gets a second look or a third look. Um, but if they wanted to still say no Rottweilers, you can customize the FIDO score. And uh, we have a, a what we call a, uh, our score is like, you know, Google's one to five stars. Everyone knows that metric. We're one to five paw. So we keep it very easy. Five paw would be the lowest risk. One paw would be higher risk. A one paw doesn't mean it's bad. It just means there's more household risk. Remember, risk in this definition is not about just the dog. It's about the dog, the owner, and that situation of that dog in the property, a pup, that puppy example. But we do have a zero paw score, and that is reserved for customization. So if someone has a Rottweiler, they could make a Rottweiler breed a zero paw score, and their, their property manager would see that there's a score of a zero, and they would know that they can't rent to them, and they would give that decision to them. So it's truly up to the property manager, pet screening. We try to get them to think differently about it, but we're not here to tell anyone what to do. We're just trying to show them some other options. So we got a few minutes left. So let me let me shift gears a little bit here. I, I very rarely get to speak to any uh, state representatives on uh, on on multifamily shows. So um, one of the things that's going on over here in California. So we have kind of wild laws in California. I think everyone knows that, um, <laughs> including including me. Yes. In my in my nineteen percent taxes, state taxes. They're intriguing. Um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so. <sighs> so um, one of the things that's happening right now is this weird real page lawsuit that's is going down, right? Where they're, they're basically accusing real page of, of rent fixing, uh, price fixing because they collect the data and then, you know, they're also the property management side of this. So, um, we have, I think out of all of the metropolitan markets in California, I think 90% of them are rent controlled currently. And there's starting to be sort of a sweep across the nation of, of rent control since there was such a spike in rent prices and now it's coming back down. Do you think that's going to head out to North Carolina uh, with some of the changing demographics that you have, you all have had out there? 
um, the past four or five years? You know, I the hot topic out here, and I don't think we're any different than other states similar to North Carolina. We're the eighth largest state in the country, so we're you know we're definitely in the top tier of states in terms of size, and we have a twenty eight billion dollar budget. Um, it's more focused on affordable housing as, and, and affordable. You can say, well, that's rent control, but our largest two um, uh, cities, metropolitan areas would be Raleigh and Charlotte. Those, you know, Raleigh's where our capital is. I live in Charlotte, but I spend a fair amount of time in Raleigh and neither one of those city councils I'm aware are talking about controlling rents like you're facing and New York has, et cetera. Um, and I most certainly hope it doesn't come to that. Um, but I mean, affordable housing, I mean, not everyone can buy. I think affordable housing, and that word gets thrown around really easy. So as I say it, I go, well, of course, I mean, afford- housing needs to be affordable. But at the same time, you have to have a supply, which means sure. you have to have a, 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 an environment, a regulatory environment where developers want to build these assets because without apartments, without rentals, that's a very, that's a clear type of affordable housing because these people who need it cannot buy, they can't qualify, they whether it be income related or credit related or, or, or both. And so uh, affordable housing is a big hot topic. And we have a lot of REITs uh, out here buying single family assets. And so we got the biggest one in uh, in Charlotte, right? Yeah, there you go. That's right. (laughs) And and so they're buying single family detached houses and, and they manage them like rentals. And we're starting to see some people grow uneasy about that, like they're the big bad guy. And I sort of scratch my head on that because I'm going, wait a minute, they're buying these houses with the purpose of putting renters in them. And so you have some neighborhoods that are, you know, convincing their HOAs that we're going to stop that and limit it. And so that's very interesting because I think you're limiting the affordable housing options that you're kind of saying out of one side of your mouth you want. Now, the other side, you're saying, well, we don't want these rentals in our neighborhood. And I'm like, well, if you want affordable housing, you're going to be taking away affordable housing. So I'm interested to see where that goes, um, you know. Not to get well, political on you. I mean, I'm a I'm a property rights guy, and I, I I and I also believe we need affordable housing. So maybe I'm somewhere in the middle, but I don't. Maybe we maybe yeah. we need to teach at least you know more than one semester of economics. And yeah, well, yeah, that that'd be yeah. I do think some more fiscal uh, discipline <laughs> could be exercised by a lot of people right now. <laughs> yeah, well, well, John, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you bet. I really, really, absolutely appreciate it, and. Um, yeah, you know, all the work you're doing for for, for the industry and and uh, and for pets. Yeah, thank you, right. thank you. Well, I appreciate it. you're a, a you know, veteran, and uh, just can't you know thank you enough. We just celebrate. Well, I won't date the podcast here, but um, you know, just thank you for that, and also being an entrepreneur and creating jobs, and and really trying to move the needle in the industry for doing podcasts like this. So thanks for having me on. It's, it's been a joy being on it. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to the show. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Amenitizer Die. I'll see you next time. Thank you.